Let's do it. Oh, yes, Lord, thank you. Thank you, Father, for your good word, Lord. Thank you, God, for hearts that are hungry and ready to submit to your standard, Father. God, thank you, Father, that you love us so much and you're so merciful, Lord, that you long to to show us every single way, Lord, that is tripping us up, every single thing that is causing us to stumble, Father. Lord, you're, you're so good to show us the things that we won't recognize unless your word points it out. So, Father, we, ready, we have readied our hearts for you, Lord. God, we are done with the way we think on our own, Lord. We are done with our own thoughts. We are done with our own suppositions, Lord. We are done with our own ways, Father God. We have been washed clean of those things, Lord. Those things have been burnt up on the altar, Father. And Lord, we have received your words over us these days, Father. So at the same time, we know that your goodness is going to point out what we haven't yet realized. So here we are, Lord. We love you. and We are yours in Jesus' name. So we've been made familiar with uh, 2 Kings chapter 5. I want to go there. Um, we've, we've, we've come become a little acquainted with these characters, and we don't have to say, we wouldn't think we'd have to say too much about it. But just uh, recapping, we know of Naaman, the arrogant, prideful, arrived one. Uh, the one who doesn't need anything except for just now. <clears throat> and still his need has not broken him to the point of being willing to accept it on someone else's terms. It still has to happen on his terms. But then we see because of the mercy of God in this, I don't know why an arrogant man decides to listen to his servants. And they say, my father, just do it. Just wash. And so Naaman humbles himself and he goes down. He descends into the Jordan. And he humbles himself and he becomes like a child and he comes out having a skin like an infant. And Jesus said in, in, Luke, in Matthew chapter 11, verse 25, he says, I praise you, Father, that you have hidden these things to the wise and understanding, but you have revealed them to little children. And Naaman comes up from the water with a revelation that there is a God in Israel. And then there's a trade going on that Naaman... Slips off that cloak, right? And Gehazi is happy to have it. Um, and so in verse 20 of chapter 5, we see, But Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, thought, Behold, my master has spared this name in the Aramean by not receiving from his hands what he brought. And I want to repeat this part, and I want you to repeat it. It says, but Gehazi 
the servant. Everyone say the servant. Say Gehazi the servant. Say Gehazi the servant. Gehazi the servant forgot what that whole phrase meant. I want to talk to you tonight about the leprosy of selfish ambition. And um, we see Gehazi here. We've gotten a good picture of him this these last few days, and it's been it's been beautiful and revealing and helpful and hurtful, <laughs> which is helpful. <clears throat> and so I want to show you all, talk to you all a little bit of some instances in the scripture of selfish ambition, where it shows up. And the first place I want to go tonight, which is uh, quite an obvious connection here, is Numbers chapter 12. So, Gehazi has developed something against this man of God, the servant of God. He's developed something, either a jealousy or a frustration with him. He no longer trusts the discernment of this man because they don't share the same ambition. They don't share the same goal. They don't share the same desires. And so, their means have parted ways long ago. And, uh, excuse me here. That's going to get kicked. Um, So, Gehazi has developed his own way. Some jealousy, some um, whatever it is, and you know, we joked, maybe it's because he was bald and he thought, wow, this guy, he's, maybe he's a little tall. I don't know, all these little things that you could. But he developed this, um, whatever, decided that he could have a better understanding of the situation. He clearly thought that Elisha had missed out on something. I had you repeating that phrase. But Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, thought, my master has missed something. He didn't do, I'm going to go do his discernment was bad there. Uh, I've got some better understanding, right? So, so there's this selfish ambition that Gehazi have, has that uh, Elisha's ministry and his way of walking and the way he submits himself to the voice of God and only the voice of God and the way he carries out the truth and declares the truth of God like Pastor Justin so beautifully taught us how he declares just the truth of God and nothing else and Gehazi really doesn't feel like it adds anything to him to do things this way. And so the selfish ambition is revealed. And so we're in Numbers chapter 12, and I want to share this little story about Miriam with you. Um, Numbers chapter 12, verse 1 says, Then Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married, for he had married a Cushite. And they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us as well? And the Lord heard it. 
You don't say. The Lord heard it. One thing that was interesting to me is, wasn't it Moses, the one who's saying, he says, the Lord will fight for you in Exodus chapter 14. Just wait, this forceful waiting. You, he's going to fight for you. Don't lose hope. The Lord is fighting for you while they're all panicking before crossing the sea. Where's Miriam? I don't know. But she's dancing and singing on the other side. And, and that's beautiful. We have a great story about that. But there's no Miriam dancing and praising before the sea has been crossed. She's dancing after when the conditions are right. And here's, here's why I feel like we have to look at this. Because Miriam is... And Aaron, but she is the lucky subject of the story. She, she says, has not, has he not spoken through us also? I mean, I, I led a procession of the, of the women, and, and who knows what else she has done. Clearly, the Lord has spoken through her. I mean, don't you forget it. And... And yet, where was she before the sea was split? And so there's something about selfish ambition when it creeps into our lives, into our hearts, when it creeps into our motives, that we begin to become overly concerned with the vessel. Or all of a sudden, we have this high regard and esteem for the servant of God when we're the servant of God. And we have a great, great esteem for the vessel and little concern about what's being passed through the vessel. Does it make, make sense? The voice of God, have we not heard? Have, did we not also hear? Do, has the Lord also not spoken through us? Why such elevation from Moses? Because, I mean... The more the Lord speaks through me, the more worthy I am of being elevated. So you see that selfish ambition causes you to prostitute the giftings that the Lord is trying to give to you. The the Lord is desiring to anoint you and has anointed many of you. And the subtlety of selfish ambition begins to spread like a leprosy over everything. And one thing that's interesting is, is uh, what's highlighted in historically in physical cases of leprosy is that you always hear about the, the nose falling off or the, the fingers and the hands and the arms becoming infected and the, 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 the feet, the, the toes. The extremities, I believe, are the first affected by it. And so the leprosy of selfish ambition similarly goes after the very ways that you have been made able to serve the Lord. It contaminates your works of service. And so what is intended to be the righteous robes of the saints that you put on, your acts of righteousness, the enemy says a leprous selfish ambition is going to stain your garments. 
And Miriam here is showing it very clearly. Her argument for why she is not exalted like Moses is, have I not also spoken like that? Why don't I receive the same recognition, the same or similar um, renown? And it says this. After it says, the Lord heard it. Now the man Moses, this is verse 3. The man Moses was very humble. More than any man who was on the face of the earth. We're going to see a little bit more of this later. But you see how Moses, he doesn't come back and say, well, yeah, but you've spoken, but. Where were you on the other side of the Red Sea? You know, <laughs> um, he didn't get into any of that. He's he's a man fit for what the Lord's doing. And so, suddenly the Lord said to Moses and Aaron and to Miriam, another little thing I like. It says, "Suddenly the Lord said to Moses and Aaron and to Miriam, like we'll just make sure she's a distant third. You three come out to the tent of meeting." So the three of them came out. Then the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the doorway of the tent, and he called Aaron and Miriam. When they had both come forward, he said, Hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, shall make myself known to him in a vision. I shall speak with him in a dream. Not so with Moses. With my servant Moses, he is faithful in all my household. With him I speak mouth to mouth, even openly and not in dark sayings, and he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant, against Moses? So we're too astute to speak like this, usually. We know this would be too obvious. This is not subtle. Guys, I, I think most of you don't set up an ambition that is overtly selfish and you know it and you don't care. Like Pastor Zeke said, if that's a battle right now, God help you and repent right now. But there's a subtlety about this. And he says, to speak against my servant. Why were you not afraid to speak against my servant? So the, the word for selfish ambition, we're going to go, not right now. I'm just going to do this. I think this will make it, um, it's going to be helpful. So in James chapter 3, verse 17, we see the, the, the actual word in the, NASB is selfish ambition. Um, The Greek word is G2042, and it's uh, eretheia. In this, the the definition is to put oneself forward, to to speak in a a manner. Sorry, it's not 17. 15, I think. Um, It's to speak in a manner. It's a self-promotion. It's... it's, uh, 
like jockeying for a political position. It's to use your words to promote yourself. Um, so it's, it also carries an idea of it's contentious. Um, it, it seeks to pull someone else down to lift your own self up. It's a slanderous sort of speech. This is what Miriam was doing. Um, it is any way that you can project yourself in a favorable manner before others so that you can obtain a position of either power or influence or a possession that you desire. Fill in that blank. But this selfish ambition is that it's, sorry, the definition also includes that it does not disdain low arts. In other words, that you travel far enough down this path of selfish ambition, you won't say no to any means to obtain your goal. It gets worse and worse and worse as you go. And we're going to see that in some of our scriptures we're going to go to. But it's particularly the way you speak. And, and Mo, the word says here, why then? You know Moses. You, you know. So a man who is not laden with selfish ambition, a man who's like Elisha, a man who is like Elijah, who's entrusted with a mantle that hears from the Lord directly, a man like Moses here is a man who is the most humble in all of the earth. Right? That's what it said there. But he says, the way I speak with him, it's not, I speak with him plainly, with plain speech, mouth to mouth, faithful in all my heart. He's, sorry, uh, I speak to him openly and not in dark sayings. He beholds the form of the Lord. So why then were you not afraid of my servant, Moses? There is not a holy fear in Miriam. Because she's not concerned with the Lord's work itself. She's not concerned with what is to flow through the vessel. She's concerned with the vessel. And Moses is not particularly impressive to her. But to her, she's quite impressive. And so there really is no reason why not to jockey for a better position as it relates to Moses' situation. This is a sensible thing to do. And the Lord sees fit to meet this attitude and this heart condition. He basically says, what you can't see on your heart, I'm going to let you see on your skin. So the anger of the Lord, verse 9, burned against them and he departed. But when the cloud had withdrawn from over the tent, behold, Miriam was leprous, as white as snow. As Aaron turned toward Miriam, behold, she was leprous. Then Aaron said to Moses, O my Lord, I beg you, do not account this sin to us, in which we have acted foolishly and in which we have sinned. O do not let her be like one dead, whose flesh is half eaten away when she comes from his mother's womb. Moses cried out to the Lord, saying, O God, heal her. I pray. But the Lord said to Moses, if her father had but spit in her face, would she not bear her shame for seven days? Let her be shut up for seven days outside the camp, and afterward she may be received again. So the kindness of the Lord. Here's Moses' intercession. There's a great shame attached to this. He says, okay, at the, I will have mercy upon her. But this selfish ambition, 
It's a shameful thing. It is a shameful thing. And when I started mentioning, I didn't get as far as I needed to. When I started mentioning the Greek word erethea, it has a, it's used once in the Older Testament in the Septuagint. It's in Isaiah 38, 12, and it's used to say to, um, it's used in the place of the word weaver. I thought that was interesting, to say the least. Um, and as I thought about it, so with weaving, you have, I hope you can follow me here, you have, not because I'm smart, because I have to articulate this. Um, with weaving, you have a warp and a weft, two parts. The warp is the, is the, lest my lips continue sticking to my teeth. Um, the warp is the pattern that's first established like this, up and down. The weft is then later added in like this. It's against the course. And I noticed there are two things about selfish ambition that seem to make sense as to why it could be a weaver's game. Because there's an established direction of this, of this yarn, of this thread. And to weave means I don't, I'm going against that direction and I'm going to entangle myself with what's established because you need what's established. For the selfishly ambitious, you need what has been laid out for you. You need the pattern and you know you need it. There's no way you could distance yourself entirely physically and establish your own. You don't have that ability. But you're going to depend upon what's established, but you're going to weave yourself in the other direction because that's not the way you want to go. But you need that strength. So the very thing that is supporting you makes me think of the Gentile church who hates Israel. Um, the very thing that's supporting you, you despise. But if you had any idea, if that really went away, you would just fall. It's, and until, until it's, it's just a, you need the structure. And so this selfishly ambitious attitude is like a parasite and it, it's the structure, this standard, this pattern, this beautiful thing that God has defended and protected and that his people have fought for for millennia is now your host. And you're going to suck it for what you can and leave it. Miriam. That's Miriam. So leprosy, sorry, selfish ambition is leprous. Selfish ambition is a suicide mission. And selfish, selfish ambition is not fit for fire. And I want to go to Numbers chapter 16. Good words, brother. 
And um, starting in verse 1. Now Korah, the son of Issar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, with Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and On, the son of Peleth, sons of Reuben, took action. And they rose up before Moses together with some of the sons of Israel. And I I, I want you to pay attention. This made me tremble when I read it. 250 leaders of the congregation chosen in the assembly, men of renown, On Thursday night, we opened with just the joy that it was to be in the assembly. We're in the assembly, his holy ones. The saints have gathered. This is the assembly of the righteous. The great congregation. It's a holy place. And I say it made me tremble because I thought, That's, this is us. This is us. My, my family, my brothers and my sisters. This is us. And it says that these men rose up together with some of the sons of the congregation chosen in the assembly. So not, it's not that you're just in here. It's that you're entrusted with something in here. It's that you have some renown amongst others in here. And they rise up against Moses and Aaron. Said to them, you have gone too far. For all the congregation are holy. Every one of them. And the Lord is in their midst. So why do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? I love this. And when Moses heard this, he fell on his face. He he loved these men. Moses knew these men intimately. And here they are speaking against the holy pattern and construct of Yahweh God. And they're seeking to, to say, no, this is, it's a, we don't need this. What's this elevation of you for? It's this spirit, this selfish ambition that says, I don't understand anymore why you here for me ever, or I don't understand why you have some sort of vantage point anymore on my life. It doesn't make sense to me anymore. I've, I've come to that place now where teacher, pastor, I, I, I'm thankful for you. And at this point, I think I hear pretty, pretty, pretty well from the Lord. I've consecrated myself. I'm, I think I'm ready. I think I'm fit. I think, think I, I just don't. Anyway. You have gone. So he says, why do you exalt exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? One, the perspective is way off here. 
Because they don't exalt themselves before the assembly of the Lord. What is the reaction? Moses heard this and he fell on his face. In the tent, in Numbers chapter 12, nobody is there watching, just Aaron and Miriam. And he hears, he sees what's happening and Moses falls on his face. He's not a humble man for show. The falling on his face is not, well, the whole congregation's watching. I'm going to be humble and meek here. This is what Moses does. It's, his, it's, it's what he's made up of. It's how he has fully given himself. Pastor Eric started touching on it uh, at the end of this morning's session when he said, Deuteronomy 6.4, it it's not just that the, it's one God. It's that God and all of who he is is one and is given to one direction. And the first command he gives to his people is that they be just like that. That everything that they think and do and possess and everything they plan, everything they dream, everything they love and everything they hate goes in one direction and it's toward Yahweh God and they trust Him with it completely and they commit all of their ways to Him all of the time with all of their relationships. You see how it says, you teach these words, you talk about them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise, you teach them to your children. It's an all-encompassing single command. And Moses was just that. All completely, fully in one singular direction because God is one. And this is a man that is fit for the sort of position that he has. Elijah, Elisha, men that are not men of kings of compromise. They're fully given to one thing all of the time until the day they die. And selfish ambition is completely the opposite. It is to take that command and all of its benefits for the obedience to it, and to redirect all of those things into one direction to serve oneself. And so it is a neglect of the greatest, the first command. And you see how it weaves itself in, right? Because these men here in Numbers chapter 16, they're saying, let's keep reading, he says this, He fell on his face and he spoke to Korah and all of his company saying, Tomorrow morning the Lord will show who is his and who is holy and will bring him near to himself. Even the one whom he will choose, he will bring near to himself. They're arguing with their authority, their God-established leader, that they are holy just like him and they can do everything he's doing and they should be. They should be in the same spot that he's in. And again, this is too obvious. None of y'all would do this. But your hearts are bending in this direction. There are ministry opportunities. Whatever, that's such a phrase. There are, there are things you long and have longed to do for the Lord for years. And they started out as pure and subjected. And now it's your, it's your little thing that you're raising. I don't know what it is, but it's this nasty little desire that you now have, and it's going to be your validation someday. It's going to be what proves uh, how faithful you've been. It's going to be what that finally lets them see that, that I am anointed. I can do that just like they do. 
Someday they'll see, and, and, and it's your, we can kindle fire on the altar. We can, we can intercede as well. We can go and speak with the Lord on behalf of the congregation. If, I mean, why not? We are holy too. We're just like it. And it's this longing for something that perhaps started as a good desire, something that you ought to be raised up in, and yet it's becoming yours. And so he says, Moses says, okay, we're going to let the Lord show who is holy. Tomorrow morning, the Lord will show who is his and who is holy and will bring near to himself, even the one whom he will choose. He will bring near to himself. Do this. Take censers for yourselves, Korah and all your company, and put fire in them. And lay incense upon them in the presence of the Lord tomorrow. And the man whom the Lord chooses shall be the one who is holy. You have gone far enough, you sons of Levi. Then Moses said to Korah, Hear now, you sons of Levi. Is it not enough for you that the God of Israel has separated you from the rest of the congregation of Israel? To bring you near to himself and to do service of the tabernacle of the Lord and to stand before the congregation to minister to them, their calling was not suiting them the way that they hoped it would. It was not tickling their ego enough. It was not exalting them enough. And so the Lord's work for them was no longer the Lord's work for them. Because the Lord's work was always the Lord's work for them, right? The Lord's work for me is it's the Lord's work for me. Like, that's my mezuzah. Like, yeah, that's my purpose. Don't touch my verse. That's mine. Everyone has done that, right? Um, um, it's the Lord's work for, for you. It's not, it's what the Lord has asked of me to do. It's, you've forgotten, it's not, but Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, he just forgot the servant of little thing there. And it's more concerned with the vessel than what that vessel's actually supposed to be carrying. And so it says, Here now, you sons of Levi, is it not enough for you? I'm sorry, I already read that. Um, and then he, then he brought you near Korah, and all your brothers, sons of Levi, with you. And are you seeking for the priesthood also? Therefore you and all your company are gathered together against the Lord. But as for Aaron, who is he that you grumble against him? Then Moses sent a summons to Dathan and to Abiram and the sons of Eliab. But they said, we will not come up. Is it not enough that you have brought us up out of a land flowing with milk and honey? To have us die. Now pay attention to this. You have not brought us up out of a land of flowing with milk and honey to have us die in the wilderness, but you would also lord it over us. Indeed, you have not brought us into a land flowing with milk and honey, nor have you given us an inheritance of fields and vineyards. Would you put out the eyes of these men? We will not come up. So he says, all of our, everything we submitted ourselves to, this is 
This is when you start reeling a little bit and you, you start thinking of everything you've ever done and given up. We sacrificed inheritance. We sacrificed so much. And you haven't yet brought us into the land that you were supposed to bring us into. We haven't received what we thought we were going to receive by now. You see, when you're selfishly ambitious, when you're ruled by a leprosy of selfish ambition, time is never quite right for you. And so you have to manipulate the whole process so that you can get what you didn't get in the timing that you needed to get it in. That the ministry wasn't serving you what you thought you were supposed to be getting out of it. Again, you were more concerned with the vessel through which the Lord was working than, which, than with the work which the Lord was doing. And so, the, with this story, it's, 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 there's no leprosy here. But we see how now everything they've ever done all of a sudden is like, who cares? Wow. Were you, were you only content to do this because of the land flowing with milk and honey? Were you really? Because it's a good thing I didn't bring you into it. Because I said, you love me with everything. With all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And then you spread that to your descendants and your family, your relationships. You, you encompass every part of your life with what I've asked of you toward me. And then you get to march into a land with great and splendid cities that you didn't build, with houses full of things that you didn't fill, with vineyards, with uh, eating the fruits that you didn't plant. You'll benefit, yes. But they're saying, wait, 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 all of this and we have not yet reached that? Because I was really doing that for me. The work of the Lord is no, the work... The work that God has for me isn't just working out for me. Isn't working for me. And so, though we don't see a leprosy here, we see two things. It's a suicide mission. So they all gather. They're censors. They're ready to put fire on. And I love the heart of Moses. So they're all assembled in the congregation. Verse, verse 20 says this. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, separate yourselves from among this congregation that I may consume them instantly. But they fell on their faces and said, oh God, God of the spirits of all flesh, when one man sins, will you be angry with the entire congregation? Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the congregation saying, get back from around the dwelling of Korah and Dathan and Abiram. Now look at this. We talked about sheep without a shepherd last night scattered on the hill, on the mountainsides. You see their shepherd here. Moses arose and went to Dathan and Abiram with the elders of Israel following him. And he spake to the congregation saying, depart now from their tents of these wicked men and touch nothing that belongs to them or you will be swept away in all their sin. You, they're run, they run, this is, they're not, Moses and Aaron, the Lord said, you guys get back. Get back. He said it to them. You guys get back. Okay, so they're safe. But my goodness, God, your people. 
more humble than any other man on the earth, Moses. And they run, warning them, guys, get back. Don't touch anything that belongs to these men. I'm pleading with you. Don't be fooled by their ambition. It's not good. The Lord's about to send judgment. Please get back. Get back. There's no thought for self. So they got back from around the dwellings of Korah and Dathan and Abiram. And Dathan and Abiram came out and stood at the door of their tents along with their wives and their sons and their little ones. And so the, the story goes on that the Lord opens up the ground and swallows them up in all of their possessions. And then those who were with them that had the censers, the Lord sent fire to consume the rest of those who were uh, maintaining their loyalty to these rebels. And I I want you to see tonight that selfish ambition is not fit for fire. We've We've had the word prophesied to us a few times about fire, about the Lord sending fire. We've asked, Lord, light me on fire. We've said, Lord, we want to burn for you. We want to burn for you, Lord. Light us on fire, God. And I know that there are some that are waiting to be lit on fire. And the Lord's saying, I am a God of mercy, and I will not, because you will be consumed. You are not fit for fire. The fire that you're asking for is so you can have your own torch, like it says in Isaiah. It's so you can go do the work of the Lord for you. It's so you can carry forth his word in a way that comes underneath of you and elevates you and lifts you up. And the Lord says, you are not ready for my fire. Like, you know, I, I love you. I am not sending you my fire. And it's a suicide mission. There it is. Burned up, destroyed. And just to materialize it just a little further... If you'll bear with me, I want to go to 2 Samuel chapter 15. Talk about a man named Ahithophel. Slow down, I'm not there yet. I said 2 Samuel, right? Okay. 2 Samuel chapter 15. Um, Let's read verse number 12 real quick. And Absalom sent for Ahithophel, the Galenite, David's counselor. Whose counselor? David's counselor. From his city, Gilo. While he was offering the sacrifices, and the conspiracy was strong, for the people increased continually with Absalom. Now, just flip over to chapter 16. What you're going to see here is Ahithophel was happy to join with the conspiracy because it was strong. We talked about a coward. 
a coward, this man who is renowned for his good counsel. It was as if it was the word of the Lord in the day of King David and Absalom. He would not remain faithful to God's anointed because God's anointed no longer had anything to add to him. In fact, it imperiled him. To be associated with God's anointed man, with the man of righteousness, put Ahithophel's life in danger because the conspiracy was strong. And so in chapter 16, verse 20, look at this. This is not, and this isn't even a a quiet, subtle sort of cowardice. This is a disgusting cowardice. Then Absalom said to Ahithophel, give your advice, what shall we do? Right, because because, uh, David has fled now from Jerusalem. And the city is now in the hands of Absalom. He says, what should we do, Hithophel? We've got power. Hithophel says to Absalom, go into your father's concubines whom he has left to keep the house. Then all Israel will know that you have made yourself odious to your father. The hands of all who are with you also will be strengthened. So they pitched a tent for Absalom on the roof. And Absalom went into his father's concubines in the sight of all Israel. The advice of Ahithophel, which he gave in those days, was as if one inquired of the word of God. So was all the advice of Ahithophel regarded by both David and Absalom. We saw the other night how Gehazi, he was the next in line. Elisha said, what should I do for this woman? And he took his advice. He took Gehazi's advice. Gehazi was entrusted with the anointed staff of Elisha to run ahead and perform a miracle. A trusted man. A man dear to the heart of his leader. And so it was with Ahithophel. Any difficult situation, I'm going to call in Ahithophel. His his advice is as if the Lord has spoken. And so this man with such responsibility, this is what we're talking about in, in Numbers 16, Renowned men in the congregation, chosen from the assembly. Renowned men with weight on their shoulders and weight in their words are cowards because their gain is at stake. Their safety is at stake. And he gives the most disgusting advice to Absalom. Well, if you go to chapter 17, this is why selfish ambition is a suicide mission. So we saw in Numbers 16 that you're you're bound for the fire that you cannot handle, that you will not carry. You're bound for the destruction if you are going to Weave your selfish desires in a dependent manner upon the holy establishment that God has given you. And in chapter 17, the Lord provides a mighty man named Hushai who thwarts the advice of Ahithophel. And when Ahithophel sees 
This is how cowardice he is because I don't think, I don't know for a fact, someone historically could correct me. I don't know that his life is on the line here if his advice isn't received. I don't know. I don't think it is. But he checks Ahithophel's advice, Absalom does, against that of Hushai. And Hushai says, no, this is not good advice. Your father is a, is a great and mighty warrior and goes on to contradict the counsel that Ahithophel gives. And then when Absalom says, this is good, we're not going to do what Ahithophel said. When he says that, it says in verse 23, now when Ahithophel saw, of chapter 17, sorry. Now when Ahithophel saw that his counsel was not followed, Look how selfish this is. He saddled his donkey and arose, went to his home, to his city, set his house in order, and strangled himself. Thus he died and was buried in the grave of his father. So you see how selfish ambition is a suicide mission. It is a leprous thing, which leads to your destruction. It is a suicide mission. Go to Matthew chapter 27. Quickly here. I'm going to start in verse 1. Now when morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people conferred together against who? Against Jesus. So you had a blatant disregard for Moses, the meekest, most humble man on the face of the earth. And we saw his characteristics. We saw his traits. The Lord spoke to him mouth to mouth. The Lord said, I allowed him to see my form. Spoke to him like a friend. Then we know Elijah and Elisha, these men who Gehazi was following after. He was coming after these men. The Lord spoke to these men, a nation relied on these men for God's word. And and David is the holy anointed one, the king who would restore, who would bring, uh, who would bring Israel and, and, and strengthen Israel and let the glory of Israel be on display to the nations. And we saw a blatant disregard for this holy man of God. So all these people conferred together against Jesus to put him to death. And they bound him and led him away and delivered him to Pilate, the governor. Then when Judas had betrayed him, sorry, then when Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that he had been condemned, he felt remorse and and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. But they said, what is that to us? See to it yourself. And he threw the pieces of silver into the temple sanctuary and departed. And he went away and hanged himself. So we know the story of Judas. When when the woman pours the ointment on the feet of Jesus, he has no regard for his teacher. He says, not only do I hypothetically care more about the poor than you, Jesus, I, this is not padding my pocket. This is, not, this is not doing for me what this whole thing is supposed to be doing for me. Revealed that. In fact, 
so intensely that he would actually kill his leader to obtain what he really wanted. This selfish ambition, he had woven himself into the lives of 11 other men and the greatest teacher, our king, the God of the universe. He had woven himself into that entire structure structure that Jesus was raising up. And he was going to prostitute it for his own gain. This is selfish ambition. And it's a suicide mission. So we see the leprosy of it. We see that it's a suicide mission. And we see, and this is where I want to wind it down at. It's not fit for fire. If you go to James chapter 3 with me. So let's read this scripture here. Starting in verse 13. Who is wise, or sorry, who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior, his deeds, and the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. Here's what I want you to consider. If there is any regard for yourself in light of the work that you're doing, in light of the visions that you have, in light of the plans and the dreams that you have to such extent that you're starting to break from the pattern that you've been shown to preserve that desire. And again, guys, it could be the holiest and the most beautiful desire in its inception. Things start wonderfully. But we pull them to, we take it for ourselves. We don't, we're not loving him with all. So we become divided in our hearts. And then we go about discerning, we go about discerning what the Lord is speaking to us these schemes that we have, these grand ideas for his kingdom that we have, these ways that we're going to serve the Lord, that the Lord's work, the, the ways that our mezuzah is going to just be so beautiful next to my family name, and, and it's going to be what we're known for. We're going to be known for this. And you go about discerning, oh, I think this is the time. We're going to go now. Yeah, uh, the Lord spoke this to us, and I think we're ready for it, Pastor. Uh, the... Yeah, he's, he's actually, I know a guy actually who said this will work out and, and he's going to be my man of peace, whatever this is. And you've got all this stuff churning and you're dreaming and you're praying and, and you're just wisdom and the Lord is speaking. And because there's selfish ambition, you're being fooled by your own wisdom that it's actually not what comes from above, but it's earthly, it's natural, it's demonic. Because wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition. There is disorder in every evil thing. What's happening is, because you're still a little cross about someone else's promotion over yours, because you're a little bit, you don't talk about it anymore, so it's just not an issue. But it's there. 
And because you're a little bit frustrated by that, or because you're a little irritated by the fact that your pastor wasn't excited about your dream to reach Africa, that because of that, you just kind of got a little bit going on in here, and everything else that you're discerning and the words you're praying over people and the way you're ministering, it's all maybe coming from a demonic, selfish, disorder way of walking out your ministry in your church body. And I'm telling you, you've been asking for fire to fall and because your God is good. And the heart of, Moses, the heart of God revealed in Moses is crying out, saying, no, 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 no. Please deal with this. Deal with this. You don't want the fire of God. He's got, the, yes, the fire of God is all over that man of God. You don't want that. Just trust me because you still love you and what your plans with my name on them are going to do for you. And the Lord is being merciful and good to you saying, please, would you please eradicate this? Would you please eradicate the cloak that your pastor has for you to carry? that your discipler has for you, it's a beautiful one. Who cares if you recognize that yet or not? Just trust me. Submit yourself under it. This weaving in this structure is a dangerous thing because God loves his structure. God loves what he's established. In fact, it cost him the blood of his son And the blood of his son is not your currency to get what you want. So I would would ask you to just ask the spirit of God and all of his kindness and his goodness to be very explicit with your heart right now. Wouldn't you say if the Lord loved us enough to not set us on fire till we were ready? That's a pretty sweet thing, huh? And some of you are burning, and I know that. We're men and women on fire, but in light of everything Pastor Jake spoke, there's a very specific group of people in this room that need to be at this altar. And we, we don't need music this time or any mad dash. It's the genuine recognition. Is that you? And if it's just one, praise God. But is it you? Is it a real, are you dealing with real-time selfish ambition that is either 
hindering your call, delaying your call, or perhaps shipwrecking your faith. And if it is, I'm, I'm just going to start praying quietly. If you deal with selfish, ambitious type stuff, look, we're all repenting daily. I get it. I'm talking about the specific nature of something that you know must die or your calling will cease to exist. And if that's you, in the stillness of this moment, if it's not you, stay in your seat and pray for us who will be up here. But if it is you, come and weep at this altar. Because what I believe the Lord showed us as we were preparing for this time was that the Lord would completely eradicate a spiritual giant of selfish ambition in a way that would actually unlock callings. Um, my God, the, the thought of missing what he born us for because I can't die. It, 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 it makes me, as Pastor Jake said, it, it makes us tremble. When, when I heard Pastor Eric saying, I die, I die every day, he's quoting Paul, but I die every day. This kind of death that, as Pastor Jake just said, is saying yes to the pattern. We're done going against the pattern because not only is it completely debilitating your ability to be free and run in who God's called you to be, you're kicking against a really unstoppable structure, the kingdom of God. So if you're in your seat, just pray quietly in, in the spirit. And if you're at this altar, if you're at this altar, put to death selfish ambition once and for all. that we might die and be satisfied with this death. Holy Ghost, we ask. Father, I'm asking you in the name of Jesus, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that at this very moment, the, the fleshly desire and the, the, the principality that have a stronghold on the people at this altar. And Lord, that stronghold is, causes such selfish ambition to grip them. I'm asking you in Jesus' name for deliverance tonight, that you would deliver, Father, that you would take, Lord, your mighty spirit, Father, and bring about a, a bring about a, Lord, a, settle, a settling upon these men and women at this altar that there is a satisfaction with the death of who they are. Lord, that we will no longer seek our own. You, you bought us, Jesus. Father God, I'm asking you. Lord, I'm asking you. You are the deliverer. You are the great I am. Father, you are the Alpha and the Omega. Father, no principality can stand in your presence. Lord, I pray that uh, strongholds are broken tonight in Jesus' name. 
Father, I pray that these, that these men would be satisfied only, only with taking up the standard and the pattern that is defined in your word, defined by, Lord, the, the, the men and women of this room who are carrying out your word the way you have instructed it. And we ask you, Lord, we're ti- we don't have time anymore for the delays. We don't, the, the, the hour is close. We don't have time for the kind of delays that are robbing us that are robbing us of the men on fire. Lord, this association is raising up families on fire. And mighty God, we ask you tonight. We ask you. We say freedom. Principalities, demonic strongholds of selfish ambition flee right now in Jesus' name. Flee right now in Jesus' name. I pray, Philippians 2, God, that we would take up this mantle of emptying ourselves and becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Father, we ask you in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thank you, mighty King. Do your work, Father. Thank you, Jesus. The Spirit of the Lord um, speaks in Ezekiel 2. I shared it with someone in this room um, somewhere this weekend. And uh, it says His Spirit enters us and then He stands us up on our feet. Um, It's good that you weep and it's good that you cry out to God for forgiveness. Like Moses, we end up on our faces. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is a restorer and a redeemer. And so I say to all my brothers and sisters, and I mean that you are my brothers and my sisters, stand up on your feet according to the word of Ezekiel. Chapter number 2. And let's stretch our hands to heaven with a declaration. The Spirit of the Lord says, stand on your feet and be filled with my Spirit. And as, and as His Spirit is ministering right now to your heart, what He's going to do is eradicate selfish ambition. To take the selfish and ambitious, the desire to promote ourselves forward is dying right now in Jesus' name. And with our hands stretched to heaven, I say, Father God, we're a big family in this room. And with all my brothers and sisters standing in front of me, what I'm asking you in, in whole faith is, Father, the work that they laid on their face begging of you, come do it right now in Jesus' name. Lord, and though there, it will require the daily putting into practice of the commitments they make right at this altar, that tonight is a launching pad towards the kind of freedom that will allow them to burn. 
that will that will allow them to be set ablaze and to run in the purpose and the pattern that you have for their life. Not forsaking the way in which you have shown us to do it. And we uncompromisingly say, we do it that way. So mighty God, we ask you, complete this work in this hour and then give us the faithfulness tomorrow and the next day and the next day to cast off selfish ambition every time it seeks to devour us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. I want to read Philippians 2 real quick and say a few other things before uh, we transition into some other things tonight. Um, the, I read this a lot, as many of you probably do. I'm going to start in verse number 4. It says, Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, uh, but for the interest of others, and have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. Can you say, I want to empty myself? He emptied himself, taking on the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death. Pastor Eric, when you started the message like that, I die every day. I die every day. Don't stop because we stand on this stage. In fact, listening to Jake preach makes me squirm as much as anyone else. But we die every day. Because something in us tries to creep in and take charge. Kill it. If it tries to master your life, kill it. It's not worth it. It's not worth missing. The days are passing. Weeks are passing. Months and years, they're slipping by. We don't have time. You hear what I'm saying? We don't have more time. The hour is upon us. We have to fight. Let's empty ourselves in Jesus' name. So if you're ready to empty yourself, shout hallelujah. Hallelujah. Man, if, you, if y'all don't mind, y'all head back to your seats. I want to do something else, okay? Give me a hug, boss. You're going to be victorious in Jesus' name. Come on. I wrote this the first night we were here. Pastor Eric said, I die every day. Die. That's a pretty funny word. Gets tossed around a lot, though when we brush up against it, It gets pretty serious. Die. And only if that becomes, hear me church, only if that becomes an all-satisfying statement to you will you truly attain the depths of your true purpose. 
that has to become a satisfying statement. Isn't that crazy? Physically, we're talking about, but also spiritually, I die every day. We have to become satisfied with that selfish ambition, as Pastor Jake wonderfully brought out. And he makes me nervous, by the way. If anyone watched the, um, the, the CNN, whatever that is, where they, uh, the confirmation hearings or whatever, and they ask the judge, can you show us your notes? And she goes like that. Everybody gets a big kick, you know, out of that. That's how Jake treats me when I ask him to show me his notes before he preaches. It's got two words on it. I'm like, oh, man. I'm nervous. Yeah. Amen, huh? It's nerve-wracking. I mean, I write down a few sentences, but Jake, man, God is good. He felt this word. We, we're bringing this portion of the word. The Lord dropped this on Pastor Jake. Many, many weeks ago, as Pastor Eric sent out the theme uh, to us pastors. We've been teaching on it in our church because uh, we want to get this stuff right. We'll refuse to preach something we don't walk out. I, I will not do that. Selfish ambition is destroying cause, or at the very least, delaying cause. Delaying cause. And uh, what the Lord did here tonight, listen, for all of you up here, I'm saying that's eternally staked. I'm telling you, cling to it. The Spirit of God did this. He showed us He was going to do this before we even stepped up here, and He did it. And I'm telling you, take hold of it and destroy selfish ambition. I want to. I, I hope to get the chance, man. I'm excited about uh, Big Mike. I can call him that because I'm a fellow pastor with him. You call him Pastor Mike, but I call him Big Mike, my brother. Uh, tomorrow morning, I just, I can't wait to sit under his teaching, his preaching. It's going to change our lives. Uh, tonight we got something special um, that we want to do. As the Lord's been doing so many things in our churches, uh, when a lot of people are closing doors, uh, we actually removed doors, roof, walls, and everything just went outside. Uh, that, ke- that kept it a little simple for us. Um, right at the time, all this um, response to the coronavirus is breaking out. I choose to call it that. The response to it is the problem. Uh, when that's coming out, uh, my family and I, and Kathleen's taking the kids through this in school, but we're reading Trial and Triumph. I don't know if anybody's ever read that book, but it's a good one. And we're right in the midst of this. We're reading about all these men of the faith, and we think we have it bad. Do you know where Wyclef translated most of his works? In the bushes. Because authorities are looking for him. Did you know that? You might have thought it was a classroom or an office. He's in the woods. Maybe not every day, but you get my point. He's running. 
but he's so passionate that he's hiding out in the bushes writing. George Mueller, uh, he's popular for a lot of things with regards to blind faith. And the uh, bubonic plague, I believe it was, maybe not, a cholera outbreak, something like that. I get all the uh, plagues mixed up. I'm not a scholar. Don't claim to be at all. And they're facing death by the masses. In fact, in fact, three people get sick, one is dying. And his wife's getting scared, she's pregnant, and he's running out, praying, healing, doing funerals, and everything that he's uh, supposed to do. And she's kind of pleading with him a bit. It's like, if, if you go out and do this, you could come home that night and, and not be alive in the morning. I, I don't know about this. And he looks at it and says, but if I stayed home, would that be the man you married? It's things like that that should give us grit. It should give us grit, the kind of grit that doesn't stop, no matter what. The word coward was tossed around a bit this weekend, and uh, from what I understand, maybe some churches lost some people just over the word, Uh, because it is a tough word, as Pastor Nick, I love how he said it, you call me a woman, what am I going to say? I'm not a woman, so it's not really that offensive. Okay, if you're if you're not a coward, you don't mind coward uh, coward talk. You know what Revelation 20, 21, 8 says cowards won't even enter the kingdom. You know that we don't have time to be a coward. We've been outside meeting since um, we got a word from the Lord to do so, which I'm figuring somewhere between March, April, May. And I'm not good with dates either. I, none of it I'm really good with. Sometime in the spring. And we went outside because the Lord told us to go meet outside and wait for the sound of marching in the trees is what he told us. And we've been there and most of our services since then have felt a lot less like um, a church sermon and more like a war preparation sermons. They've just had that feel just like just like here. Every message has been just like that. It feels more, but you, you know why it feels that way? It's because it's exactly what's happening. He is readying us to stand bright in darkness. Why would we hide in the most exciting times that we could possibly be alive in? Why, why would we hide in these times? The word coward is not offensive. It's only convicting. Those that get convicted, they go and start making YouTube videos. Making fun of everything we do. That's what they do. Okay? Not us. Cowards run. The consecrated, they stand. The consecrated stand. Can I share a testimony and then a couple scriptures and then we're going to get to some fun. And I know we got a pastor's elders meeting and I might just put the smack y'all. I know Pastor Eric. He's my best friend. I I want to encourage you. Um, The stance we're taking is withdrawing from our earth. It's withdrawing from our culture. It's withdrawing from the ashes, the remnant. 
actually doing it. So uh, we stand bold. We call them out. You're a coward. And in the process of doing that, we also have this gracious tenacity that looks back at the brother who he knows he can do this. He's just a little intimidated by the uh, overarching effects of what's happening and pull him up, right? It's what we're all doing together. So I'm at a wedding. I get to go to one every now and then. And um, I'm right over by the fruit punch bowl or something. And a, and, a, and a gentleman walks up to me and he says, uh, Zeke, I've been trying to catch you all night. This is encouragement to everyone in this room, okay? It doesn't matter if he was speaking to me and about our church body. You are my whole family, okay? We, we get together every year because this is very, 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 very important. What they're saying about us, here it is, us. You understand what I'm saying? And so I'm at this wedding. They're saying this about Every single church and pastor in here, bold men and women of faith. He goes, uh, he's in a city a couple hours from me. I don't know him very well. Zeke, I've been trying to catch you. Um, We've been hearing about you guys. And he's a, a, a deacon or elder at a church, and they're just wrestling through. A lot of people are wrestling through this, okay? A lot of people who who just need that tug. Come on, we can do this. That's how you raise up an army. And he said, the pastors were considering this, this, and this, and if we do this, we lose so many people here. Uh, and he's able to make bold declarations that wind up with this, you know, I guess a couple hundred people church giving up their building and going and meeting outdoor in a park. Now, you wouldn't know that, and neither would I except I happened to be at the wedding where the guy was at and he told me. But I want you to hear this. Your faithfulness is causing others to want to do the same. Whether you know it or not, it is. I mean, Chicago's different because the uh, rising church there, I promise you, they're hearing about this. Well, you guys get on the news with it, a newspaper. (laughs) But anyway, people, just like in the Word, people will hear of your faithfulness. Stay faithful. And when I'm standing at that fruit punch bowl, looking at this gentleman in the face, and he's saying, we're able to stand right now because of what you guys are doing, that's phenomenal, church. That's, that's probably bigger than most of our minds have the ability to wrap around right now. And that's just what he showed us. That's just what he's showing us. Who's listening? Who's Who's pastoring a church somewhere and they want the grit to do this? And they just need that handful of generals who are willing to be out front, but they'll come along. They will do it. You know they're out there. And if we're going to raise up a remnant and see an awakening, see a revival, we got to get them. We got to get them. And so our preaching is that way it's forceful, it's vibrant, and it's unapologetic. But it's also, you can do this. Stand up on your feet. You can do this. That's how you raise up an army. I thought that might encourage you a little bit. It sure, uh, it sure made, uh, made the day for me. Something that simple. We have been hearing of your faith. 
and we're walking that way. Let's keep fighting. Let's keep swinging. Amen. Uh, can we go back to, um, I mean, let's go to the book of, um, well, I won't turn there. Y'all know Haggai 1 where it says, uh, is it time to uh, build your paneled houses and the house of the Lord lies desolate? Y'all know that, right? One. This one. Closer. Oh, one. Oh, I thought Mike was telling me to put the mic closer. Oh, Haggai 1. Okay. Listen, he's holding, he's holding something back here, I guess. I'll be surprised after the service. But let's go to 2 Kings to close this out. And then I want to uh, do something. Jake mentioned leprosy. You can look in Leviticus at you know, how leprosy is uh, dealt with. You can also look in Exodus and Leviticus and find out about consecration of priests as well. Any similarities, huh? Uh, Second Kings. Sorry, I'm thinking so much I didn't even flip there. Second Kings chapter 5. Y'all with me? Can y'all say it's time? Come on, ain't much more preaching. It's just about to be some celebrating. Can y'all say it's time? All right. So I'm reading this, Second um, Kings chapter 5, and uh, we get down to verse number uh, 26 maybe. Uh, Yeah, then he said to him, did not my heart go with you when the man turned from his chariot to meet you? And he says, is it time to receive money and to receive clothes and olive groves and vineyards and sheep and oxen and male and female servants? That phrase kept on uh, ringing over and over in my mind. Is it time? It's time. It's time to put away selfish ambition and take up the mantle. But it's also time for some other things. It's time. Okay? I was thinking about it. Pastor Eric did the, uh, he stood um, Ezekiel up beside Devin. I don't know if Ezekiel will reach those heights, but, you know, God help him. Maybe he'll get Kathleen's side of the jeans. Rest of us wear boots to deal with such matters. But I, um, I, uh, I met Judah at Ezekiel's age. Then I looked down at him, and there's four children. I was praying Isaiah 41. I was praying Isaiah 41 over your family while we were worshiping. Namely, namely kind of around verse 15 about the threshing sledges. Um, but I met Judah, 13. Isn't that crazy? And it, you was 13, sometime around there, and I have a 13, you know, we don't have time, it's time, it's time. I'd like to ask uh, Zach and Jake to come stand, maybe I'll get uh, one of you to stand here. Did Zach leave the building? No way. Zach, come on, man, come on, Jake. I want you two men to stand up here real quick with me. Not uh, right up here. I'm sorry. Yes, please. Thank you, big man. Come on, Zach. Now, there's something. Huh? That's good. Six feet. Six, six feet. <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> too late for that. <laughs> um, 
the, the, the men to my left and right are my brothers, okay? One of us came from the same mother and the other didn't. That's irregardless. Um, they get confused for brothers way more than me because of my weight. Um, and uh, the, they're my brothers. And there's, um, uh, there's a, a real connection that you have, and every pastor in here and his team, they have it. Uh, look at the Knicks. I mean, they're brothers. Oh, I love it. Um, these men uh, committed to a process. They committed to discipleship in a way that required their death. You understand what I'm saying? This isn't magic. This isn't, this isn't, it ain't, it ain't a college degree. It is, it's not uh, on a whim. They say, yep, they, they both have equal amount of credits from uh, a school called, uh, I think it's still called Liberty. Uh, but Zach, Zach got three credits and Jake dropped out after one semester. They were not worthy of such men. Okay. The, um, you know, uh, listen, now we're just having some family time before we do something real special. Okay, y'all with me? Everybody's good? Is Zeke's family, Jake's family, and Zach's family all in here? Okay, all right. So, um, uh, about seven years, these men have been at it, okay? And uh, they stand in our body as certain men that are my right hand, and I don't do what I do without them, okay? And they arrive to me, okay, um, hearts burning, but wanting to commit to discipleship. And I look, uh, I look at uh, Eric and Matt, who caught me in that season where, hey, man, I needed, I needed you, and you were there, and... Um, these men are like these men because I'm just like these men, and I make no apologies about it. We can't have breaks in the process if we're going to actually make it ten, even ten generations with nothing messed up. Okay? If you're translating the scripture, you can't mess up a single word because ten years from now, it won't look nothing alike. Okay? If we change the pattern even a little bit... <laughs> Ten, ten generations from now, we're far from the standard, okay? And so we hold close to it. These men have labored, and they have warred, and they have fought, and they have heeded my counsel, instruction, and discipleship. They have stood with me through hell. Now, I've actually had... People try to sit in my living room and say negative things about one of them. And I, I blasted them, and only because I'm merciful did I let them stay the rest of the night. But I said to them, Jake's walked through hell with me. You will not sit in my house and say another word like that. When, you, when, you're, when your brothers are born in adversity, when you're raised up this way, it's special. So, at least I can figure, we've arrived at this momentous occasion.
because the men of God that make up the one association pastors, okay, the pastors of the one association, they recognize something in these men, okay, that will be publicly recognized tonight in something called an ordination. Come on. Jesus, come on. I can close my eyes and see Kathleen and however many few kids we had at that time in a rental house in the city we moved to wondering, what did we just do? And everybody's gone. Nobody's with us. And a phone call from him and a car ride from him. Hey, I'm dead in the water without these men. You understand? I'm dead in the water without them. For seven years, they fought alongside me and with me and helped uphold me and committed to the process of discipleship that is according to the standard. There's no cross-weaving, no cross-graining, no uh, bobbing and weaving, whatever Jade called it. There was a commitment to the pattern. Because of that tonight, because of that faithfulness, because of that commitment, that consistency, that that adhering to the call, these pastors will stand with me and Pastor Eric in ordaining Zach Lamb and Jake Womack. Now, you know, you know what an ordination is, right? I don't just get these guys. Uh, they got little armies with them, okay? And so uh, before uh, I hand it over to Pastor Eric, and, and he takes care of the rest of this ordination process, um, he's my pastor. And so I will hand the mic to my pastor. Uh, I need to uh, have Kelly. And uh, you bring the kids as best as you're able. Where is she at? Kelly, come down here and stand beside Jake uh, off to this side. I need uh, Jessica, come stand beside Zach off to this side. Listen, I need my crew up here with me. Please, if uh, Kathleen's got some over there and then two boys over here, please come stand down here. Uh, And then, um, y'all ready to get this party started? This is Celebration Church. I want you to witness this. Because this is the standard that is set by the One Association churches. This is, this is the standard, okay? We're a family, and we labor and fight to stand in these places. Amen? Pastor Eric. What an exciting time, huh? It's hard not to think of the first time we saw Zach, isn't it? He heard his brother had, uh, I don't know, encountered crazy people like y'all. And he came to check it out. He's in his 
first truly spirit-filled worship service. I don't know. He just kind of lit on fire and to the best of my recollection, and please correct me, he stands up in the middle of the service not knowing what to do and says, uh, 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 I, I, I'm not like y'all, but, but I, I want it. Jake grew up in a home that is a much more traditional background. And uh, same, same thing that I came out of, but he made me rethink it all. I'd never met a Baptist that was sensitive to the Spirit before. Ever. We've watched them become everything God has called them to be. Because the man discipling them abandoned everything to become everything he was supposed to be. Uh, It's not that we're out of time. I've never cared about that. It's that I'm out of voice. Can I have a Yes, I can. I can do it, can I? Uh, Matthew, would you read Numbers 8, verse 11? Well, Matthew turns to Numbers 8 and verse 11. Do you see all of these children? They're not Catholic. That's not what's happening here. It's that their pastoral training did not begin seven years ago in discipleship. It began the moment that they said, I do, to a wife. And just like God chose Abraham because he would direct his family. chose these men because they would invest in their wives and they and their wives would invest in children. As a one association, we're playing the long game. Nobody more so than submission ministries. (laughs) The days will come when we'll ordain their children. Do you have numbers? Aaron is to present the Levites before the Lord as a wave offering from the Israelites so that they may be ready to do the work of the Lord. These men are ready to do the work. I want you to understand they're already doing the work. You don't get ordained to become something. An ordination is a recognition of what you already are. So, I'm going to need you one more time. So, why do it? Is that a fair question? 
if we already know what they are and they're already doing it, then why do you ordain someone? I don't know whether you caught it. Could you read it one more time or put it on a screen or anything that you might be able to do to help an old man out? And Aaron shall offer the Levites before the Lord as a wave offering from the people of Israel. A wave offering from whom? These men are being offered to the Lord from the congregation. Did, did you hear it? We're recognizing what they already are because it's your joy and it's your privilege as the people of God to support them as an offering to the Lord as they do the work. Now, I don't have enough voice for it, so I'm going to make it very brief. The way this was supposed to work initially is every one of you would have to give up your firstborn son. Every single one of you. But God chose the Levites instead of your firstborn sons. And he made them pay the difference. Same chapter. So that when somebody in a congregation looked at their priest, they saw their son or their brother or their father. They saw a family member. Well, we got to wrangle them, huh? One more verse, and then we're going to have everyone association pastor who is ordained come with me. One more verse. Verse 14. <laughs> In this way, you are to set the Levites apart from the other Israelites, and the Levites will be mine. In some sense, all God's people are priests. In some sense, that's true. Just like all Israelites are holy to the Lord. But do you remember that Nazarites set themselves apart in a very special way? Well, in some sense, we're all priests. But what they're doing here today with your help is setting themselves apart in the most special way they know how. As pastors, you're completely dependent on the health of your sheep. Your fate is totally tied to how your sheep, at, at least if you pastor like we do. I don't know what they do out there. I don't want to talk about that. We have no safety nets. We have no, if our sheep die from sin, we die from starvation. So we give our hearts, we give our souls, we give our lives to see sheep do well. That's what these men are. I believe they're ready to do the work. And do you know what verse 14 also says? The Levites shall be mine. God considers them a gift from the congregation to God, waved before him, and he said, I'll take that. It's mine. Did you feel the anointing on the message that it's, that was not, 
that's not because Jake is a master at homiletics. He's good with homiletics, but that's, it's not the most perfectly delivered, polished word you've ever heard. It's that he belongs to God. In fact, that's a characteristic all three of these men share. There's a sincerity that lets you know guys belong to God. Can we have the ordained pastors of the one association come forward? The way that we ordain so that you, the congregants, know is one year we nominate. A pastor says, look, I want you guys to pay careful attention to what's going on in these lives because when we ordain what we are saying as men of pastors of the one association is we are saying that guy is what we are and anywhere you put him in the world he will make more of what we are that's the difference between being ordained to teach Sunday school or any other amazing ministry activity and being ordained in this way. So this is sacred for us, but it is not me who is ordaining them. It does not depend upon me. What it depends upon is the men who have been ordained, of whom I am one, going, yeah, that is us. And he can make more of exactly what we are. That's what our ordination is. And it is your gift to God to be able to present men like this that he goes, that one is mine. And that's what's happening. So I'm going to pray and open this mic for any pastor. And then we're going to actually physically put our hands. Yeah, let's gather the families. Let the already ordained you old people the older ordained you version point one oh point mighty god we're asking here and now that you would receive from the church congregations of the one association these men as a wave offering before you Lord, that you would consider them yours, just like Levites of old. And now, Lord, by your Spirit, will you speak to us? Will you help us here as we commit them to your hands and into your presence? Jake and Zach, it is clear that you are one of us. It is clear that you are going to produce disciples, men, women who are dangerous to the enemy. As our pastor just said, the verse that began to stir in my heart for you too starts out in 2 Timothy 1.5 where Paul says to Timothy, I am reminded of your sincere faith a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. 
sincere faith dwells in your household. It is without a doubt a sincere, audacious, bold faith dwells among you men. In Hebrews chapter 6, it says, though we speak in this way, it is talking about people who have fallen away. Yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things. I tell you right now, I am sure you guys are going to do better things than we've been able to do. Things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. Something that is intrinsic to both of you, to your ministry team, to your ministry family, is your love for the saints. And this has been a work you've been laboring in for a long time already. And we desire each of you to show the same earnestness to have full of assurance of hope until the end. We bless you guys. We welcome you guys. We love you guys. Zach and Jake, this is such an honor to be here with you as the congregation lifts you up to the Lord. You guys have been doing this for a long time. You've been operating in this with your families, pastoring your wives, pastoring your kids, and pastoring the precious congregation of Submission Ministries. And today is special. As I was praying for you guys, I was reminded of one of my favorite passages out of Isaiah 22. It says, in that day. It's almost like it's time, Pastor Zeke. In this day. I will summon my servants, Jake Womack and Zach Lamb. I will clothe them with your robe, mighty one, and fasten your sash around him and hand your authority over to him. When you're claimed as those that belong to God, there's an authority that you're going to get to walk in. It's hard to explain it before it happens, but I remember these days, remember with Pastor Eric there, Pastor Matt and Pastor Justin there on my day, I remember there was a difference because there was a different level of, of authority that you're going to get to walk in. It reminds me in Timothy how you get to watch your life and doctrine closely so that everyone may see your progress. You guys are anointed. Your families are anointed. And you're going to feel the anointing of the Lord increase because his authority is handed to you and your entire congregation. Those of you who are here, mark my words next year when you see these men. They're already incredibly in love with God. That was an incredibly powerful message. And you're going to see that the authority of the Lord has been handed over to them. I'll forever think of you guys as getting up before the sun and walking that road and praying. Here is my word for you. This is from Psalm 119. Because I also picture you guys with your Bibles open and just talking. And hanging out. How I love your Torah. I meditate on it all day. I am wiser than my foes because your mitzvot, your commands, are mine forever. I have more understanding than all my teachers because I meditate on your instruction. I understand more than my elders because I keep your precepts. I keep my feet from every evil way in order to observe your word. I don't turn away from your rulings because you have instructed me. 
How sweet to my tongue is your promise. Truly sweeter than honey in my mouth. From your precepts I gain understanding. This is why I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp for my foot and light on my path. I have sworn an oath and confirmed it that I will observe your righteous rulings. When I was little and I built blocks, I learned very quickly that if I didn't take my time on the foundation, that whatever was built would fall down quickly. You guys have taken the time to build the foundation right. Everyone knows it. Everyone can see it. And what the Lord is building in you and through you will last forever. I love you guys. Jake and Zach, you guys are mighty men of God. It's evident. It's evident that you're anointed. Jake, I remember the first time that I met you. You actually were a visitor to LCM. You'd come to visit someone that uh, was a friend of yours named Kelly. Just a friend. A friend, you say, oh baby, you. And as always, we have our, our, our pastoral uh, duties to make sure that there's no wolves coming into the, the sheep. And so we wanted to check this guy out named Jake that was visiting Kelly. And upon inspection, within the first five seconds, I realized he was a man in which there was no guile. That he was pure hearted. And that he was anointed exceptionally more than John Piper. <laughs> Whenever Zach visited LCM and he said, I want it. I saw the anointing of God all over him. I saw him grow and rise in his ability to lead worship, lead people into his presence and grasp the word of God. Yes, yes, there, there's a, a very fond relationship that Zach and I have. It, it is a bromance. I've met my doppelganger. When I think of you two guys, a very special verse comes to mind. I want to share with you. It's Zechariah 4, verse 12 through 14. Again, I asked him, what are these two olive branches beside the gold pipes that pour out golden oil? He replied, do you not know what these are? No, my Lord, I said. So he said, these are the two who are anointed to serve the Lord of all the earth. What is standing before us is two men of God who have sold everything they had relinquished every possession and every expectation to gain the kingdom, to go to hell and back with their brother. I know you will do it with us because you've demonstrated it with Zeke. It's an honor to stand here and be part of the witness that you two are anointed to serve the Lord of the earth. Pastor Zach. And Pastor Jake, man, the spirit and the word are in perfect harmony. And they are in perfect harmony on the inside of you guys. Do your best to present yourselves to God as one approved. 
We stand here approving of the work that you guys are doing and that you're going to do. A workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. I mean, wow. The way that you two men handle the word of God. It's easy for the, the rest of us to recognize it. And it's beautiful. And it's such a privilege to stand up here at this moment and welcome you because of the work that you're already approved of. Three years ago, we had a very difficult time in Indonesia. And the Womack said that they were coming to refresh us. And the difficulties in that trip made flying during the time of COVID look like nothing. It took them a week to get to us, multiple hospital visits, uh, trips to embassies or wherever you guys had to go. They stayed in a hotel room for days waiting for passports to clear because they knew we needed refreshing. And when they got there, it was the refreshing that we needed. I, be I began to call Jake pastor from that point. Remember that? Because you refreshed us. And the scripture says, he who refreshes others himself will be refreshed. And you guys have been doing this already for a long time. And so pastor is an office and it's also a title. It's not a title you have to live up to. It's a title trying to catch up to what you've already been doing. And so it's an honor to stand here and just acknowledge what you've been doing for a long time. And we love you guys and we stand with you guys and we're gonna advance the kingdom with you guys. Amen. Jake and Zach, I have a word for you, but first, but first, I want to encourage you from Second Chronicles 16 again. If you guys can allow your hearts and your lives to continually be fully committed to the Lord, He will strengthen you. I'm learning that myself. And uh, the word that I have for you is from Numbers 28. Numbers 28, verse 6. It's about daily offerings. It says, It is a regular burnt offering, the same as was offered on Mount Sinai to give a fragrant aroma, an offering made by fire for Adonai. See, your lives now are going to continually be, on a daily basis, a burnt offering for the Lord on behalf of the people. And that fragrant aroma that's offered by fire, because you guys have been to Peru, and Zach's been twice. I've seen that fire. That fire still exists in Peru because of you guys. Back then, you were pastors. You were pastors before. You're pastors tonight. Pastor Eric has always said, you are a pastor to those that see you as a pastor. And you know what? We've been seeing you guys as pastors for years now. But it's good to finally put this um, official. So, brothers, uh, it's a pleasure and honor to be here with you, to stand firm with you. You guys were there for my ordination. And so, for me, it's very special and dear to my heart that I get to be here with you guys. Amen.
couple scriptures come to mind uh, that just set the tone for your ministry. Um, Isaiah 30, and we can start in verse 19 is the first one. O people of Zion who live in Jerusalem, you will weep no more how gracious he will be when you cry out for help. <laughs> I just I hear, I hear Zeke saying that. And this is how it turns out. As soon as he hears, he will answer you. Although the Lord gives you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, your teachers will be hidden no more. With your own eyes, you will see them. Whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. Yeah. Brothers are born in adversity and for adversity. And what emerges is what is seen. And this is what's happened, right? Zeke's crying out for help. You men show up. And you're forged in the fire. And the teachers arise and the people look and the, and God says, look, this is the way. Walk in it. This is how we walk. It's what we do. When I see those, when I see the, the burning man on there, that's y'all. That's you. Right? Every time I come to pray with y'all, you're like firing me up. Romans 12, 1, obviously. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in the view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, for this is your spiritual or acceptable act of worship. This is the way. Walk in it. This is what is acceptable, nothing less. This is the standard. This is who we are. It's a privilege to call you brothers. We've been doing that for a long time, and it's a beautiful day. Welcome to the furnace. Of course I have something to say. Do I have to stand up here? I feel so weird standing up. Uh, uh, when I see you guys, I mean, every, every time I see you guys, there's a joy about, about the whole submission group that is, uh, it's, it's infectious, it's obvious, and it's the joy of the Lord for sure. But it's crazy that a church called, when you think of the word submission, you don't think of joy. I don't. I mean, I don't. I think of like. Uh, <laughs> it's just my flesh. But I know God, God called these guys to submission. And they, they take great joy in it. And it's, it's insanely powerful, and it's, it's what y'all are producing, and it's evident. And uh, this just came to mind, this peace and this joy that you guys are going to continue. Y'all are, y'all are seed sowers for the kingdom. Y'all are obviously seed sowers, but y'all are seed sowers in the spiritual. And, and, and watch what God's going to do at submission. Y'all are, y'all are going to do awesome things that are going to, it's things that we can't imagine. <clears throat> but I just want to encourage you. Paul said, chapter 5, Romans 5, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, character, hope, and hope 
does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. You see, at just the right time, we were still powerless. When we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. You guys, you die to yourself every day, just like Pastor was saying. You guys are going to keep dying, and you're going to keep inspiring others. You're going to see sow those seeds of joy and peace and hope and righteousness, and Submission Church is going to be better for it. And your community, everybody, this is what we're all trying to do, and you guys exemplify that. We love you guys. So you can see that our goal here is to see how long we can hold them in one place before their kids rebel and overthrow the regime. <laughs> you, you have to be ordained as a pastor to be able to do what these women are doing with all these kids. Look, this is Malachi 2.5. My covenant was with him, a covenant of life and peace. I gave them to him. This called for reverence. That's the first thing that you expect from any priest, any pastor. This called for reverence, and he revered me and stood in awe of my name. That's the second thing, that we want to remain in awe of his name for the rest of our lives. I, I got to tell you, men's praise is very, very fickle. Uh, even in these sessions with a group that is so favorable, on any given moment, three people will love what you said, and two will be rebuking you. You know, that's, that's just, but to stand in awe of the Lord's name, that's a treasure for the rest of your life. So call for reverence, all in his name. Verse 6, true instruction was in his mouth. Never, never get into the habit of telling people not only what they want to hear, but or the way you think they want to hear it. That, that's just got nothing to do with true instruction. True instruction was in his mouth. Nothing foul, false was found on his lips. As a pastor, you want people to feel good. Don't tell them they look good today when they don't. Just, just don't do it. Okay. Your value to the world is how accurately you represent the standard. Never any false speech. He walked with me in peace and uprightness. That shalom and upright morality. Nothing's more important than the shalom you're demonstrating right now. Keep your home in order and you will be able to order the world around you. Okay. Uh, and turned many from their sin. You know, we focus on that all of the time. It's actually the sixth principle. We turn people for None of that's possible without the previous five things. You join their sin. You don't turn them from it. But the last one is, is maybe the most important to our mission. For the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge um, the people that I was ordained with are not around anymore when we do this it's meant to stand forever so that there's a generation to do it for the next generation and for the next generation I charge to you is stand firm and do it forever. Amen. The generations depend on it. Amen. Before I pray, 
and invite everybody to come. Let's just party to celebrate this. This is huge for our body, so it's huge for our association. Worship team's coming. I'd like for us just to huddle up around here like a big family living room and worship. One song. I know some of you got to go rescue babies from the nursery. Please do that. But everybody else, come around. Let's just celebrate. Y'all celebrate with us? I say this according to Isaiah chapter 6 and verse number 8. Over Zach and Jake, it will define them all the days of their life. And the Lord will use them in the fields that are white and ready for harvest. Then I heard a voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And then I said, Here I am. Send me. Thank you, mighty God.